0: Okay, we got a great all new show for you today. I know you guys like when I do an all new show. OnlyFans has flip flop from their earlier position last week, and they're back in business as usual. There's a lot of interesting turns in there about banking. The stablecoin Circle is cleaning up their reserves to move to a perfect dollar for dollar representation of their stablecoin, unlike Tether. And this is a major move for Circle, and I think it's going to have a profound impact on cryptocurrency and Tether. Finally, Warby Parker is going public via direct listing. So I'll break down the difference between D2C companies and software and direct listings and traditional IPOs. Plus, there's a little button at the end uh, with a personal message for you. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com twist. Drata. Don't let requests for SOC 2 compliance reports slow down your business. Use Drata to stay ahead of the curve. Go to drata.com/slash twist for 15% off. And Masterworks the first company allowing investors exposure into the blue chip artwork asset class. Twist listeners can skip the 30,000 person wait list by going to masterworks.io and using promo code TWIST. Okay, in our first story, OnlyFans has reversed their decision to not allow adult conduct on their uh, membership service after getting commitments from their banking partners that they would not be shut down we talked about this on the last two episodes, episode 1269 and episode 1270 back to back. Uh, Because it's kind of big news on the internet in in many different ways. One, it kind of dovetails with Apple scanning people's phones for content that is of an adult nature. Obviously, in that case, it's uh, child porn. And in this case, it's Hey, there are some concerns that maybe the actors who are working on OnlyFans might not be of age. And obviously, that's dependent on what region you're in. And it's a global service. So there were a lot of different theories of why OnlyFans decided to only allow adult content, i.e. pictures of yourself naked versus adult conduct, i.e. two people or mo- who knows what combination of people, uh, you know, doing sexual behaviors just to keep it PG here. So uh, this caused a lot of conspiracy theories when they made this announcement. And it actually inspired people to compete with the platform. One of the things that happens is these platforms exert pressure over their members, be it Facebook, YouTube, or Apple's App Store, when they squeeze their partners, and they get too heavy handed. In today's world, because it's so easy to build software, and there are so many developers, and there are so many platforms, whether it's Amazon Web Services, or Bubble for no code, or you know, survey monkey type form. Uh, if this, then that um, you have all of these amazing services that let you build a competitor quickly. So of course, uh, competitors started to emerge. Uh, Tiger being one of them, he decided he would start his own competitor MyStar, And we talked about that on uh, a previous episode. So large investors, of course, were hesitant to invest in OnlyFans because of the nature of the business uh even though only fans is on pace to do 1.2 billion in revenue in 2021 and had over 600 million in profits according to axios uh which is a great newsletter company so when you look at that uh don't be so surprised the fact is almost every venture capital firm has a no-vice clause in it including my own which is lps limited partners who give venture capitalists and general partners the power, the people who make the investment decisions they will say hey no vices no gambling uh No drugs, no alcohol and no adult content. Why do they do that? Well, if you're running some giant endowment, or family office, the people who are running those institutions might not want to be in those businesses. So all it takes is for one person, uh, especially if you had money, let's say from the Middle East, or from a pension fund, or from a university, they don't want some journalist to find out you invested in OnlyFans. And now it's, you know, this very large uh, institution is pro OnlyFans, right? It's just that simple. And cannabis is another example. So you will have certain funds that pop up. And I've actually thought about this for a syndicate, like maybe starting a separate syndicate just for gambling because I like wagering, uh, or just for cannabis uh, because I think that there's nothing wrong with cannabis uh, for society. I think it's probably arguably a lot less destructive than alcohol or a number of the prescription drugs that people are addicted to. So putting that aside, that is the background of why people don't invest. So OnlyFans realizing their business was at risk, they went to work. And they confirmed basically that the issue was in fact, their banking partners, we are not yet in a world where banking uh, can be just shifted over to crypto, nor will we in all uh, likelihood, because regulations will uh, emerge over time, there's just a short window right now to kind of innovate or break the rules or bend them with crypto. But the the regulations coming, we know that. And so that will mean people will probably try to use crypto for this. And and I talked about that as a possibility. But it could also get banned uh, by the government because they can create laws that don't allow you to use crypto to short circuit uh, the monetary system. So here's the OnlyFans tweet. Thank you to everyone for making your voices heard. Standard PR speak. uh, You know, thank you so much for criticizing us. We screwed up. second uh, paragraph here in the OnlyFans suite, we had secured assurances, we have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community and have suspended the planned October first policy change. OnlyFans stands for inclusion, and we will continue to provide a home for all creators. Uh It's just a lot of PR nonsense speak to basically say, Yeah, we were facing the risk of ruin, we were facing having all of our banking turned off. This is me reading into it. And now, because we are not having all of our banking turned off, we're going to, uh, reverse our decision. So if you would like to do, uh, adult content again, i.e. porn, uh, feel free. And I, it, what probably happened was Taiga or other people had banking set up. And then OnlyFans probably went to their banking partner and said, Hey, are you banking Taiga or these other competitors? Why can't we get that deal? Or maybe OnlyFans said, Hey, you know, we're thinking about taking legal action against you. Any of those are possibilities. Life's in negotiation. They, um, obviously negotiate hards because hard because they were going to lose all their users. Obviously, the announcement came uh, after Only Fans blamed the banks for their decision to remove sexual conduct on Friday, August twenty-first. Dear sex workers uh, from the Only Fans Twitter account, the Only Fans community would not be what it is today without you. The policy change was necessary to secure banking and payment services to support you. We are working around the clock to come up with solutions. So there you go. Uh, what everybody thought was true in an interview, with the Financial Times on Tuesday, August twenty fourth, OnlyFans founder Tim uh, Stokely uh, addressed the theories around OnlyFans policy change. Here's the quote from Tim in the FT Financial Times. The change in policy, we had no choice. Short answer is banks. Tim called out BNY Mellon, JP Morgan and UK based Metro Bank by name as prior banking partners that made it hard for OnlyFans to operate. And here's another quote from Tim in the FT JP Morgan Chase is particularly aggressive in closing accounts of sex workers or any business that supports sex workers, i.e. OnlyFans. Stokely made it clear the previous announced policy change was only about banks. The Financial Times also noted there was some speculation around OnlyFans uh, making these changes because of MasterCard having some sort of new merchant rules. uh, And Tim in the Financial Times uh, was quoted as saying, we're already fully compliant with the new MasterCard rules. So that had no bearing on the decision. Uh, more speculation had come from the assumption that only fans couldn't find investors. Uh, but Stokely said that's not the case. We didn't make the policy change to make it easier to find investors. This decision was made to safeguard funds and subscriptions from increasingly unfair actions by banks and media companies. We obviously do not want to lose our most loyal creators. So um, yeah, this this makes sense when you see you know, crazy action like this where it happens really quick, whether it's a crypto company or an adult company or any other company, they could have legal issues and journalists have maybe 10, 20, 30% of the information. They're detectives. They're trying to figure out what the actual story is and, uh, give credit to the founder of this company for coming out and putting all of that to bed. You wish a company like Tether would do that, right? Would come out and just say, Hey, in that Tether investigation, we still don't know. Uh, what paper they own the commercial papers before we get into the ad let me just tell you straight up linkedin.com slash twist your first job posting free i'm not kidding linkedin.com slash twist your first job listing free nothing to lose okay now on to the ad too many small business owners are busier than ever. They spend time searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening, and it would be much better for them to spend their time growing their business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And that's why they're giving you the first job listing for free at linkedin.com twist. They know it's going to work. Here's how it works. You create a free post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs, and you reach the world's largest professional network with over 750 million people. I remember reading this ad when it was like 150 million. My God, they're growing. It's like one of the biggest growth stories inside of Microsoft, in fact. So they focus on candidates with the skills and experience that you need. And you can use screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified people. We love LinkedIn jobs at launch. And in 2021, we've hired a third producer, a curriculum designer for founding university, and two more researchers. And we're still hiring for three more positions using you guessed it, LinkedIn Jobs. So LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the candidates that are worth interviewing faster. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash twist. Terms and conditions apply because they have given you something for free. Okay, let's get back to the program. Some other key financial figures were reported in an Axios article. The total amount that's been paid to creators since inception on OF is 32 billion. Wow, that is a lot of money. Uh, the projected gross merchandise value (GMV) for 2021 is 5.9 billion. That's the top line, how much money came in to pay for subscriptions. Obviously things come out of that, like uh, the 20% cut that OnlyFans takes as well as credit card fees, etc. Their projected revenue at OnlyFans for 2021 is 1.2 billion. And their free cash flow in 2021 is 620 million. According to the fundraising deck, uh, which Axios seems to have gotten, OnlyFans is projecting to double revenue from 2021 to 2022. I'm not sure who would invest in OnlyFans. Um, this is one of the issues in the adult industry. Finding investors, very hard. You're not going to get a private equity firm in all likelihood. You're not going to, uh, obviously get venture capitalists. So who is going to invest in a company like this? It would have to be a high net worth individuals. Who are okay with being in this business and the potential ramifications if somebody underage were to leverage the OnlyFans platform, which let's be honest, law of numbers, this probably, possibly or probably has happened already and people don't know it. So that is one of the, uh, you know, crazy things about this. And that's probably why some of the other adult sites removed user generated content, user generated content plus a, uh, you know, platform like OnlyFans. is a really dicey issue. You want to empower people, obviously, but you also have to be very careful because abuse in the system uh, can happen. Of course, abuse happened in the previous system. So uh, you have to also be pragmatic about this, there will be bad things that happen on platforms at scale. OnlyFans content creator, bimbo Marxist on Twitter shared their thoughts on the announcement sex workers, if you decide to stay on OnlyFans, pull your money out as often as you can, Don't trust these melon farmers. I'm using a colloquialism for the curse word MF. Yeah, I mean that's probably generally correct. Don't leave money in any of these platforms. Also, build your own mailing list is the other piece of advice I would have is, you know, tell everybody, hey, if you want to get some extra free content, sign up over here. So in case this site got shut down, you wouldn't have to start from zero. You see people doing that all the time, creating a backup account on Instagram or TikTok in case their primary account gets canceled or just having an email list is always the best thing to do. United sex workers is a UK based organization advocating for better paying conditions for sex workers. Uh, and they commented uh, about the announcement on Twitter never underestimate the power of community together we demanded our voices be heard suspended is not canceled and only fans is not to be trusted. But now more than ever, it is time we come together and fight for our rights at work. So uh, interesting comment there. Um, I do think that you're going to see a bunch of competitors emerge, even though creators are wary. Sam Lesson of the information, uh, who was recently on episode 1046. Uh, he's a columnist and also married to uh, the great editor of the information, which is a great news source. I think it's like 25 bucks a month, well worth uh, getting a subscription, uh, especially if you're pairing your OnlyFans subscriptions down. Maybe you can get an information subscription as well. He thought this was a great move by OnlyFans. Uh, hit the brakes. They will fly right by very well played OnlyFans stroke to build outrage for change name banks, get them to cave and reverse interesting take, Uh, you know, could could they have handled this differently? Uh, Who knows? Uh, They probably uh, were deep in negotiations with his banking partners, you try to solve things quietly, then you have no choice if you're facing the risk of ruin, which is they turn off your bank accounts, which could be disastrous for OnlyFans, they had no choice but to comply. doesn't uh, does seem similar. In fact, to what happened to Robinhood without having inside information, they've been pretty clear that they had too many customers at one point, and they had partners they needed to negotiate with privately, in order to resolve that issue. So this is one of the things that happens with big companies, you have um, you have non disclosures with your partners. In other words, your banking partners, you know, uh, organizations you work with other business partners in the agreement says, Hey, you can't talk about our deal, you can't talk about our negotiations. And, and that's a two sided non-disclosure. then something bad happens, and you're trying to negotiate with it. But you have to tell your audience your customers, hey, we have to change something, but you can't tell them what's going on with your partners, because you've signed this legal agreement. And that's just part of the chessboard of being an entrepreneur. Uh, so uh we'll we'll keep monitoring the situation uh but i do think more competitors equals better and more sex workers owning their own platforms is better so that's what i would like to see uh is somebody create a white label service that would be the ultimate somebody literally create a white label service that allows you like there's ghost that lets you make sort of a white labeled version of substack so you don't have to give substack your money 10% you can just pay a you know, a nominal enterprise fee, that actually would be a great business. If somebody had a platform that worked just like OnlyFans for adult creators, where you could set up shop and just pay them 50 bucks a month flat rate, and then you don't have to give them a 20% commission, that would do really well. Uh, so that's a pretty good business idea. I wonder if somebody's already doing it. I, I think somebody should look into that. All right, big news in the a stablecoin space. And I think we get a little bit of credit for this here at This Week in Startups. Circle, which runs USDC, a stable coin that competes with USDT, Tether, which many people believe is a bit fugazi, a scam, or otherwise not honest, including the attorney general of New York. Circle is moving their reserves to be a hundred percent backed by cash and short duration US Treasuries. Boom. They want to become a federally chartered bank. On Sunday, Circle published a blog on their website stating that by September, 100% of USDC reserves will be backed by cash and short-duration U.S. Treasuries. Here's the quote. Given our commitment to maintaining high standards, which in some cases go beyond those required by our regulators, we will, effective in September, hold all USDC reserves in cash and short-duration U.S. government Treasuries which will be visible in our September attestation. Why are they doing this? Well, they're obviously going to face a lot of scrutiny and they want to differentiate themselves from Tether, which does not hold everything. They only own 3% or so in cash. So this is a clear shot across the bow of Tether. In fact, I would say it's about 10 shots that are landing right on the deck of the USS Tether. And I think Tether is going to, Obviously, go down because of this. What you'll see over time is people are just going to move off Tether and go right into USDC or other stable coins that give the initial promise of Tether. Tether was supposed to always be back one to one. So, all USDC is doing here is taking Tether's original promise and fulfilling it. What a stupid move by the people at Tether to not see this coming. And you have to ask yourself at this point if this is so easy to do. Why isn't Tether doing it? Well, if tether bought, let's just say, I don't know, some, you know, commercial paper, in other words, loans uh, from I don't know, real estate in China or something that is less regulated, and they paid a small amount for it, where did the other money go? And that's what people have been speculating. Again, keyword we in that sentence is speculation, we will see what happens with tether over time but I do believe uh, that tethers uh, best days are far behind him. And I think that they will face massive scrutiny and I think they'll just be banned. I mean, if they got banned in New York, you'll have other uh, jurisdictions follow suit because who the heck wants to have this kind of um, a black swan possibility or people losing their money on something that's called the stablecoin so, according to Circle's blog post, the rapid growth of the stablecoin market has, quote, rightly brought significant federal regulatory attention as regulators consider the implications of digital currencies growing from 100 billion to potentially supporting trillions in economic activity in the coming years. In other words, Circle's getting ahead of this. Circle is the second largest stablecoin with a market cap of almost 27 billion, while Tether is the largest at 65 billion. But I do think Tether is kind of plateauing. That's, I think, pretty clear to everybody. And I think Circle is surging. Tether is the fifth largest cryptocurrency by market cap, while USDC is the eighth largest. I think you'll see those positions reverse pretty quickly, uh, maybe within a year or so. Circle's most recent attestation and breakdown of its assets was published in July, uh, and it was dated on March 28th of 2021 on May 28 2021. Here is a breakdown of their holdings for May 61% cash and cash equivalents. 13% Yankee certificates of deposit, meaning CDs issued in the US by branches of foreign banks, 12% treasuries, 9% commercial paper and 5% municipal and corporate bonds, which are something I've held for long periods of time. When you compare that to tethers most recent attestation, uh, you know, they're like two page PDF with the uh pie chart that has been derided on Twitter, uh, for months now. They disclosed about 50% of their reserves were tied up in commercial paper. Uh, in other words, over 30 billion in commercial paper. The recent circle news is great for transparency. Uh, but, uh, Jeremy Allaire, who has agreed to be on this podcast, but has not yet appeared. So Jeremy, clock is ticking. You got to get on the pod here because you, you, you told me you'd come on and now I'm. Uh, telling people you're gonna come on and you, you gotta come on, come on the pod, let's go. September, let's do it in today's startup landscape, committing to security and compliance is vital for growth. And proof of your company's security posture has never been more important. As you scale, you might start to receive more SOC 2 requests from customers. And that's where Drata comes in. Drata is an advanced automation platform used by some of the world's leading chief information security officers or CISOs. Drata will help you successfully meet requirements, support enterprise deal flow and continually track compliance. Drata also Helps customers easily prepare for and clear SOC 2 and other audits so you can go from zero to audit ready in a matter of weeks. Need more? Take it from Philip Martin, Chief Security Officer at Coinbase. And here's his quote It became clear to me right away that Drata is an engineering powerhouse. The solution they've developed is well ahead of other market players. Their approach to deep, native integrations provides users with the most advanced automation available. So check out Drata's five star reviews on G2 and see why companies like ClearCo, smart recruiter and the good face project work with Drata for their compliance needs twist listeners can get 15% off and waived implementation fees at dratacom slash twist d r a t a.com slash twist in an august 9th blog circle CEO and co founder jeremy allaire who i've known for 20 years we're not besties or anything we don't go to dinner but i know him through three companies uh bright cove and then before that uh he did cold fusion so I, I've been aware of him, we've we've met maybe five times over the years, pretty smart cat, obviously. Uh, and I think super upstanding guy, uh, I'll be totally honest, it feels like the opposite of the tether team where Jeremy is like out and has been around for a long time. He's not like the CEO of tether who nobody can seem to find and people speculate doesn't exist, <laughs> which I don't think that's true. But certainly, it's very weird that the CFO and CEO of tether are nowhere to be found. Uh, here was the quote from Jeremy in that August 9th blog. He says, Circle is uh, setting out to become a U.S. federally chartered national commercial bank. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, And here's another quote. Circle intends to become a full reserve national commercial bank operating under the supervision and risk management requirements of the Federal Reserve, U.S. Treasury, OCC, and the FDIC. We believe that full reserve banking built on digital currency technology can lead to not just a radically more efficient, but also a safer, more resilient financial system. Great. This means he is going above and beyond what tether is doing. And let's face it, there's no way tether would clear uh, the ability to operate a bank with the Federal Reserve US Treasury OCC and FDIC after getting banned uh, from working with customers in New York, that's just off the table circles focus on transparency comes as tether is reportedly facing a criminal probe by US prosecutors in the DOJ, which we covered in episode 1253. And I remember that's in addition to what happened with the New York Attorney General. This new uh, DOJ investigation seems to be around um, using uh, committing bank fraud, essentially using a bank account that is not prescribed for one use for another use. And we saw this in poker, I believe, where people were unable to deposit money to play online poker back in the day. And then they would create banks that did this on um, in some sort of sly way the The I think the theory here is that the DOJ is probing uh, whether tether did this to move money, and they basically admitted it in a in a in a, in a YouTube clip that I believe Bitfinext has shared uh, multiple times on their Twitter handle. I'm really interested to see where that goes. And this is an example of once you start committing any kind of fraud or fugazi activity, and you get on The regulators or Justice Department's radar—it never ends. They watch everything you do like a hawk. Because think about it: if they got you once, the New York Attorney General, and then you commit more fraud, that would be like you you know you caught Madoff and then you let him off the hook again, or you caught uh, Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos and you let her off the hook again. You do not want to have that look where you caught the criminal and then you let them go. That would be like you brought in you know some uh serial killer for questioning you kept them overnight and then you let them go the next day and then they kill five more people that is the big fear of any uh you know detective or uh you know the DOJ or the FBI or anybody you don't want to let people run amok after you know or suspect that they're doing bad things which my guess uh, key keyword in the sentence here is guess is that tether has many skeletons in their closet if we know of one or two I'm guessing there's twenty. Just a guess. So remember what I told you in a previous episode: Circle and Jeremy Allaire are using transparency and safety as a selling point, not just for customers. Because a lot of these customers don't seem to care that Tether has problems, right? And I think the customers who don't care, those customers are probably involved in uh, money laundering, money that was gotten through activities that maybe are not above board. I think what Circle is doing here is they are really going to regulators and saying, we know you're going to have um, strong regulation in this space, we would like to regulate ourselves, we would like to go beyond what you're doing, and then put that directly as a counter example to tether. And imagine if tether gets banned, imagine if tether uh, faces a DOJ uh, investigation, and it actually all comes public, and they're guilty of three or four more things, which I think is, possible if not probable if that happens man people will just flow over to this other more trusted stablecoin, and as they should so uh how did tether respond to circle's announcement well uh debo my friend over at cnbc summed it up as circle says it will change the makeup of usdc reserves to all cash in u.s treasury bonds tether applauds transparency but says they're quote comfortable with assurance opinions that we have provided you may be comfortable tether nobody else is so we couldn't find the statement online um it seems they sent it to cnbc directly and in this uh ridiculous statement from tether (laughs) i mean this is the height of insanity but i have to read it anyway because it's so stupid tether says we applaud our friends for embracing the transparency that tether has pioneered in the marketplace i made that point at the beginning of this news story that circle is doing what tether promised they would do and didn't do now Tether's saying they actually applaud it and that they're friends with circle you are not friends with circle <laughs> circle is going to sink your battleship they're going to drink your milkshake tether it's over you're done you cannot recover from this i am predicting tether done for anything other than gray market transactions and offshore marketplaces, and, you know, and uh, <laughs> I think this is game over. Uh, I think it's game over checkmate. Congratulations to USDC. And it gives a clear path to other people. And you know what, I think it's good for the crypto space, all of this regulation, which I know people are complaining about, we talked about this on a previous episode, you know what, stop crying about it. It's going to make the industry much, much, much bigger. And it's going to be more trusted. And that's a good thing. Yes, it's short-term pain. Yes, less innovation. I get it. But you can't run amok with people's money. Period. End of story. Sorry. You have to play by the rules. Everybody else in finance is playing by the rules. You can do innovative stuff. Do it in a sandbox under 10 million in tokens. You know, you have like, we have some sort of safe harbor. That's the way we should do it in America. Once you get past 10 million bucks, there's too much of a crater created from shenanigans this tether thing is just too high risk for society. We do not want to deal with a black swan. We want to keep the market going. We don't want individuals to lose their money. So just, you know, create a a little sandbox here. And and let's make everything above board. And let's get rid of players who are untrustworthy, like tether tether is untrustworthy. Anybody who gets banned from doing banking in New York is not somebody who's trust any CEO and CFO who are in hiding and will not go on CNBC and will not you know, um, face the music and, and be transparent. You shouldn't trust them. We shouldn't have them in the industry. Let them work offshore. Okay. Let's go to our next story. Okay. Warby Parker, which makes glasses filed their S one yesterday and they're planning on going public by direct listing somewhere. Bill Gurley is having a nice ice cold beer, kicking his feet up and feeling great. So before we get into this Warby Parker, let's do uh, just a quick primer on direct listings. There have been five notable companies that recently went public via a direct listing Spotify, Slack, Palantir, Roblox and Coinbase. Spotify back in 2018, a true pioneer, Slack in 2019, Palantir in 2020, and then Roblox and Coinbase in 2021. So we're averaging about 1.5 of these a year. Uh, but it seems to be ramping up. Obviously, if Warby Parker goes out this year, there'd be three major direct listings. Let's break down the differences between a direct listing and a traditional IPO initial public offering. When you go public via direct listing, you don't have intermediaries i.e., investment banks underwriting your shares. So this is a little bit risky because without the intermediary there is no safety net guaranteeing the shares will sell you don't go on the same what they call the tour, you don't go on the same roadshow you don't have the blessing of the big Goldman Sachs, etc. For this reason, companies that add direct list have to have strong brands, and some level of notoriety. Obviously, with Spotify and Coinbase and Slack, and Roblox, you have very high profile companies, they don't need to be sold because they have a massive footprint, you know, anybody who's in the stock market knows those companies well. Now with direct listings, you also have no lockup periods that is uh, great for early employees and investors like myself. In traditional IPOs, there's a lockup period, and that's between 90 and 180 days. Basically, six months is what you can expect. That means when Robinhood goes public or Uber went public, I can't sell my shares. Neither can the uh, folks who worked for a decade, uh, or like me, angel invested and held my shares for a decade. We can't sell. You know who can sell? The banks. The banks that took it public and their customers and clients who they let have friends and family shares, and they can flip them. How is that fair? That makes no sense. It's complete hypocrisy. It's complete inner kind of inside baseball dealing. It it just screams of unfairness. Now, uh, direct listings also have no further dilution for shareholders. In an IPO, you're giving new shares of the company that are created, and that dilutes existing shareholders. Of course, you get money for those. In a direct listing, you're basically saying, here are all the shares that are available. We got 100 million shares or a billion shares of Spotify. Have at it. Start trading them. Now, direct listings are also much less expensive. Uh, They take less time uh, and money than a traditional IPO. And in an IPO, these investment banks charge an underwriting fee to do this whole process, uh, you know, for finding all these uh, investors for you. And the underwriting fees are charged on a percentage basis based on how large the IPO is. The more money the company raises the lower percentage of the fees. PwC price warehouse Cooper's recently published an IPO price calculator on their website based on the average of 829 IPOs and in deals greater than a billion dollars. The average underwriter fee was 3.5% and the average investment banks on a deal were 16. So based on this, you know, you're spending $35 million uh, making your shares available according to Andreessen Horowitz's breakdown. Uh, apparently, that's some venture firm in Silicon Valley I haven't heard of them yet. Their direct listings charge a flat advisory fee, which is typically half of what the smallest underwriting fee for an IPO would be. Are you concerned about your portfolio's performance in the near future? Well, JP Morgan, BlackRock and others are projecting public equity returns of just three to 5% over the next five years analysts at Bank of America urged investors to consider real assets as part of an inflation strategy. So where are the major players putting their money? Endowments for Yale, Harvard and other top asset managers are looking into alternative assets. According to Masterworks research, endowments over $1 billion are investing 55% more in alternatives on average. If you're looking for a very interesting asset class that's uncorrelated with the stock market, it's blue chip art. Masterworks.io. Sells shares in multi million dollar paintings by artists like Banksy, Picasso, and Warhol. According to Masterworks, contemporary art has appreciated 14% annually from 1995 to 2020, outperforming other real assets like real estate and gold. I just had the founder Scott Lin on the program again. Uh, episode 1232 for an alternative assets roundtable and he shared some great insights around inflation appreciation more go listen to episode 1232 masterworks.io is a fantastic idea and they're executing at a super high level i think it's really genius so sign up today at masterworks.io and if you use the code twist you'll skip their thirty thousand person wait list see important information at masterworks.io slash disclaimer so let's dive into Warby Parker's s one, the LTM revenue, in other words, the trailing last 12 months of revenue. That's typically how we would say it in the business trailing 12 month revenue. They're saying LTM in their s one s one is a document you file when you're going public. Uh, their LTM or trailing 12 month revenue is 487 million, which is 33% year over year revenue. Companies that grow over 20% are considered high growth in the public markets in the private markets, maybe not so much um, and In this case, uh, this means Warby Parker's revenue from June 2020 to June 2021 was, you know, basically half a billion dollars. So in our industry, you'll hear the term annual reoccurring revenue, uh, ARR, that's typically for SaaS businesses, that means the revenue is guaranteed to keep going. That doesn't apply when you're selling, you know, glasses. It's not like people are having a subscription to glasses. I mean, maybe they do have a subscription process, uh, in which case they could say uh, annual reoccurring revenue. LTM is the last 12 months. And uh, people could say trailing 12 months. So that just gives you an idea of what, you know, is actually going on with the business a little more, I would say honest, intellectually honest. So when I meet with founders, I just always ask them the same thing. What are the last three months revenue? And then I'll put in parentheses, three numbers, (laughs) just so we're clear. I'm not looking for one number. I'm not looking for three paragraphs. I'm not looking for disclaimers. And man, my job is maddening. Sometimes. I will ask a founder for the last three months revenue, and they will start talking for 10 minutes. And I still don't have the numbers. It is bonkers. If you are working with investors or potential investors, and they ask you a really simple question, give them the answer because they probably have a follow up question. And the follow up question might be really good for you to give. So the first half of 2021 uh, puts them at a $540 million runway, they did 270 million That's pretty great. They claim to have a 60% gross margin. That's nice. They operate 145 stores and claim to have over 2 million active customers. Not sure how they define active customers. We talked about that on previous episodes. What's an active customer? For me, an active customer would be somebody who made a purchase in the last 12 months that would seem uh, like a fair one to me, because they might come back. We talked about next door, saying people who open an email were active users. This is one of those things. If you're going to be a public market investor, you're going to want to really drill into. Oh, actually, my researchers just told me active customers, I guessed it are uh, unique customers that have made at least one purchase of any product or service in the preceding 12 months, I had literally guessed it. Uh, That's good. In 2019, Warby Parker essentially broke even in 2020. They lost about 56 million, which is nothing, you know, losing uh, a little bit of money while you're growing a business is called investing in the business. In 2021, they're on pace to lose about 14.5 million. Uh, So they're decreasing the loss, uh, or they're investing less, I guess would be two different ways to look at it depending on if you're a growth investor, or you want to see profits. One of the most money losing slash break even businesses of all time was Amazon. And now they've turned on the profitability, uh, just by turning a dial, right, they can just decide how much money they want to make by increasing the cost of Amazon Prime. I don't know if Warby Parker has that ability. I don't know uh, what percentage of market share they have if they made every pair of glasses twenty five dollars more and increase their profitability, would they lose customers Would people push out buying new glasses? you know that the e-commerce is hard all right, so just taking a pause here. I have invested in d two c companies before. most of the time we say no to these companies ninety nine times out of hundred, and a lot of investors hate this specific sector. Why do they hate it? Well, uh, it's because. <laughs> You know, if you're Warby Parker and you're one of the greatest D2C companies of all time, along with Dollar Shave Club and many others, direct to consumer is low margin and hard to scale. And if they're only making 30% year over year growth, right, uh, at Warby Parker and they're making nine figures, let's compare that to, you know, a software business like Twilio. Well, Twilio has a $2.4 billion 2021 uh, run rate. That's up 65% year over year and they're at a $63 billion market cap and Twilio has two times Warby Parker's growth rate with four times the revenue. Why is this one of them selling software? One of them is consumption based right and the other one is selling a physical product selling physical product hard to scale. Uh, Warby Parker is also not a marketplace. If It was a marketplace and you had a bunch of sellers on one side and you had a bunch of buyers and Warby Parker was managing that and taking a rate a percentage of the sales like eBay does or Uber does or any number Airbnb of marketplaces, that might be higher scale that might be more interesting. So investors love software and marketplaces. They love consumer subscriptions. They love FinTech. They hate direct to consumer. It's a really, really hard business, you need to have a very unique product like say eight sleep, which is a direct to consumer business we've invested in or Terra Cafe, which is a very unique direct to consumer business in my mind. And I don't mind investing in them. But I do. Uh, when I look at those businesses, look at them differently than consumer subscription SaaS and marketplaces. I mean, let's take an incredible example, YouTube, $28 billion run rate for 2021. 83% euro for year growth. YouTube is not a spring chicken. I mean, the they have three times Warby Parker's growth rate with 50 times their revenue. So take a pause and ask yourself if you're placing a bet. Are you gonna place a bet on Warby Parker? Yeah, I wouldn't. Doesn't seem like a high growth business to me. And finally, Amazon Web Services have $56 billion run rate for 2021. What's their growth rate 30%. In other words, Amazon Web Services with $56 billion in revenue, that is not a small company That is a huge company. They've got the same growth rate as Warby Parker. Is this the fault of management at Warby Parker? No. It's just the nature of different businesses have different margins, and different growth rates. It's very hard for a company that makes a physical product to scale SaaS software. Yeah, that scales. So one final thought here about Warby Parker, CNN business reporter Nathaniel Meyerson dug up a pretty interesting insight uh, from the s one where they talked about the positive trend and signals for their business staring at your computer all day is good for Robbie Parker, the rising usage of smartphones, tablets, computers and other devices has contributed significantly to increased vision correction needs and consistent new customer growth within the eyewear market. In other words, we're all going blind from staring at our smartphones. I don't I know it. I mean, I started wearing this past year, like readers. Uh, if anybody has suggestions for me about how to get my eyesight back, do I have to stop looking at screens? Should I get LASIK? I don't know. I've never had eye problems. I gotta I gotta figure this out. So you're all going uh, blind and Warby Parker's gonna win. Maybe I should uh, invest. All right, at the end of the program here, I like to do a little button, just a personal uh, observation. And uh, this one comes from uh, just a, a simple tweet that somebody tweeted at me. Uh, a gentleman named Jose Pozuelo on Twitter mentioned something I had said once about running a bed and breakfast being just as much work as running a hotel chain. Uh, I don't remember saying this, but I, I have told this to many founders. I must have said it here on the podcast. Uh, and here's what he says. Our restaurant journey has been so complete. It's incredible the breadth and depth of problems to tackle. Jason said somewhere that running a bed and breakfast is as much work as a hotel chain. Might be slaughtering the quote. Seems it's true. Next stop scaling. And let's pause here and I'll, I'll tell you what I've been talking about. Uh, and I mentioned this in my my first book, Angel, and uh, many of you know, I just got back from Italy, where I took a week off, was alone, basically, not with my family, and just went to the beach every day and wrote. And I kid you not, I went to this beach club, and when I was at the beach, the cabana had a desk and a chair. And I, j- I didn't ask for a desk and a chair, and I looked, and Italy, they put a desk and a chair at every beach club, at every cabana? And I sat there like a crazy American, popped open my laptop every day, and wrote. And it was the greatest feeling in the world to sit there by the ocean and write it was wonderful. And, and I got a lot done. And one of the things uh, that I did say in, in the previous book Angel, uh, and that I still subscribe to is when you're thinking about your time, and it this will be relevant for the next book, which uh, I won't talk about what it's about yet, because I'm in the process of talking to my previous publisher and my agent, I haven't even picked a publisher yet. <laughs> so I'm gonna have an auction or something for the book. And uh, I'll probably go with my existing because They are pretty great Harper. Uh, business. um, As long as I pay a decent price for it. (laughs) Not that I'm doing it for the money. I'll be totally honest. I'm writing the books now because I love the act of writing. And I love when you read a book that I've written, when you say it had an impact on me. And so this tweet is what I live for. Because he obviously read this in the book. Uh, He might have heard it on the on the on the podcast as well. But the point is, uh, pick a business that scales. Warby Parker is a business that scales. But there are businesses that scale more. If you're an entrepreneur, whatever business you pick, if you're running a hot dog stand, a bed and breakfast, a hotel chain, or Airbnb, uh, or AWS, whatever it is you're running, if you're a great entrepreneur, you're going to spend 80 hours a week running it. And you're going to spend another every other waking hour thinking about it. It's just the nature of entrepreneurship is that it is all encompassing. If you're not all in if you're not thinking about your business constantly, you probably pick the wrong business you want to pick a business that scales, and that's high margin. And many of the founders I meet, especially young ones who are starting their journey, or older ones who are scared, um, or who don't have, you know, the ability to think big, because they're just conservative, this conservative um, nature leads you to pick a business um, that doesn't scale, such as a service business or making a physical product. Um, And those businesses, you're going to work just as hard, but you're not going to get the reward. So always level yourself up. If you were thinking about starting a bed and breakfast, think about starting a marketplace of bed and breakfasts, right? If you were thinking about serving, um, if you were thinking about creating a web hosting company, think about making a platform like AWS, always try to think one level higher. If you were thinking about creating a delivery food service. Think about creating cloud kitchens like Diego and Travis did, right? They just thought one level of more abstraction up. And then you could have uh, more profit and build a bigger business. And so Jose, thank you for writing the note. It really, um, you filled my bucket. As uh, the kids say in preschool, Uh, you want to fill the other person's bucket and not uh, drain it. And so you made me feel great. Thanks, Jose. I appreciate it. All right, we'll see you all next time. Bye bye.